time for The Outspoken Cyclist, the weekly conversation about cycles, cyclists, travel, trails, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. WJCU broadcasts and streams The Outspoken Cyclist on-air show at 8 a.m. every Saturday morning. In Northeast Ohio, tune in to 88.7 FM, or worldwide, listen in at wjcu.org. Our weekly podcast is available at the close of the on-air show at OutspokenCyclist.com or download it with your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Hello and welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks, and this is our show for September 26th, 2020. You know, sometimes you meet someone, even just in a phone call, and the enthusiasm and excitement for the work she's doing just jumps right through the phone. Jen Malik, Dr. Jen Malik, as she is a PhD in biomedical engineering at The Ohio State University, where she is a postdoc fellow full-time, also races cyclocross professionally, has taken on the task of bringing our first NICA League to Ohio, is on the board of the Central Ohio Mountain Biking Association, loves to garden and paint, and there's more. She does all of these things with such excitement and joy, as you're going to hear in our conversation in a moment. Then, for those in the Chicago and surrounding areas, and perhaps even those who might just want to get yourself to Chicago sometime during the month of October... People for Bikes, along with the Chicago Race Riot 1919.org project, SRAM, the Newberry Library, and a slew of other great sponsors have all come together to ride a historic route and raise funds to benefit the Blackstone Bicycle Works. As demonstrations and riots rock so many of our cities, this quiet and historic ride winds through the Bronzeville and Bridgeport neighborhoods of Chicago, stopping at key historic sites relevant to the riot and the events that led up to it. There's also an audio clip you can download and listen to a brief description of each of the stops along the way. Toby DePaw, the Ride Spot affiliate manager at People for Bikes, will be with me to explain it all. Lastly, we'll be speaking with Lauren Hefferon, owner and founder of Ciclismo Classico. The company, long known for exquisite European bicycle tours, has brought it home for two fall tours out of Keene, New Hampshire. So before we run down to Columbus to speak with Jen Malik, I'd like to mention Chloe Digert, the 10-time world champion cyclist. In her race to defend her world time trial title, she lost control of her bike in a turn and hit a barrier that apparently didn't have any padding, resulting in a serious leg injury. Chloe was airlifted to a hospital in Italy where she was treated and underwent surgery. Fortunately, she's expected to make a full recovery. Her coach, Kristen Armstrong, was quoted as saying, Chloe Digert's crash is devastating, but she will come back stronger. And that seems to be the sentiment of just about everyone who's weighed in on her crash. So we're sending healing thoughts to Chloe and wondering why the barrier padding ended before the barriers did. To be continued, I'm sure. So it's off to Columbus, Ohio to speak with Jen Malik. Hello, Jen. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week. How are you? 
I'm great. How are you? I am awesome. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Northeast Ohio. You're in Central Ohio, I would call in what we used to say was Sea Town, Cowtown. But I know it's Columbus now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep, it was like nice and sunny down here as well. Good. Well, I'm always excited to speak with someone who's actually busier than I am. And it's very rare that I find somebody who's like 24-7 got something to do. But you certainly seem to. So uh, you have two rescue dogs, I am told. You have a cross-eyed cat, which I am assuming has Siamese in her or him. And you have chickens. Yes, and actually a tortoise as well. <gasps> oh, so what kind of dogs? I mean, let's talk about the important stuff per- first. It's, it's animals for me. So <laughs> then we'll oh, talk yeah. about bicycles. Yeah. So I have, uh, Otis is my, I call him an Ohio brown dog, um, just a fancy <laughs> name for mutt. And he's at like 34 pounds. And then I have Narwhal, who is my old English sheepdog rescue. So does he have a pointy thing on his head? Just kidding. <laughs> well, I do put her hair in uh, pigtails or uh, with lots of bows. So pretty much all the time. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then you have chickens. Yes. Um, so I have 10 chickens that stay at my boyfriend's house. And then I have three that live at my house. So lots of fresh eggs. I was going to say probably more eggs than you can eat. Yeah, it's been nice because uh, my roommate also uses eggs as a main source of protein as well. So between like the three of us and then um, when my dog trainer comes over, I'm like, hey, do you want some eggs? Um, my family's always asking for them. So they go surprisingly quick. I was going to say, so they don't go to waste. No. All right. Well, let's move on to your professional life. It's pretty impressive. You have a PhD in biomedical engineering and you work full-time at Ohio State University's Eye and Ear Institute. What do you do there? So I'm a postdoc fellow, which is basically just a fancy way of saying that I wasn't quite done with doing research after my graduate degree and wanted to keep doing it. I work with the doctors and patients to get patient CT scans, and then I take them and turn them into computer models, at which point I'll like simulate airflow or particle deposition along the nasal cavity or look at like pre and post-op airflow to try and help like optimize different surgery techniques. Um, so yeah, kind of a variety. And I understand your boss is fairly supportive of other things you do, like all the bicycle related stuff, which we're, it's about time we got into, right? I was really lucky both throughout my PhD process as well as now into my postdoc research that my advisor at the time, as well as my current boss now, are incredibly supportive. In fact, whenever they're introducing me to either colleagues they or in conferences, they always like to mention, and she also races bikes professionally, <laughs> which is all, it's really nice um, to have them just be supportive of all aspects of my life. I would think so. I'm not sure a lot of bosses would be that way, especially in academia. You just don't think of them as being as down to earth as that. But I'm glad that you have somebody who is like that for you. Let me remind listeners before we get into the nitty gritty of Jen's work that I'm speaking with Jen Malik. She is a pro racer. We're going to talk about the work she's doing with NICA. Everybody knows I love NICA. And the Ohio Mountain Bike Board. Of course, did I know there was an Ohio Mountain Bike um, Association quite like that? No, not really, but I guess we're going to find out. Oh, yes. She's also the co-founder of the KS Kenda Women's Elite Mountain Bike Team. So as I was saying, you have lots to do. I want to talk about cyclocross first because the cyclocross season is upon us. And 
Are there any races? Are you doing any cyclocross racing right now? So there are some races that are out of state. I made the decision to not do a cyclocross season this year just with COVID. And since I do work in the hospital, the cross format in general, the part that I like where you're sweating, you're bumping elbows with people, the fans are over the tape cheering. Um, It's not really conducive to social distancing. And so I decided to focus on training, which I've discovered I actually love training just as much as I love racing. So that's been nice. I guess. So tell me how you got interested in cyclocross. Is that where you started as a cyclist? Yeah, so that's actually kind of a funny story. So I actually come from a running and swimming background. And in college, because I did have that background, naturally, everyone's like, you should do triathlons. You'll be great. Of course. And I was at the running and swimming parts. And as soon as I would get on the bike, I would just shoot off backwards in the pack. And so it was recommended to me to start attending and getting involved in the local Columbus cycling community to really try and work on how basically to ride a bike because I didn't know how to shift my bike. I didn't really know like what a good position was. So as I went to some of these crit practices, they were like, oh, there's going to be a crit. Um, I think it was a Grandview crit. Like, it's, it'll be great. You'll have so much fun. You should do it. And I'm, I'm naturally a competitive person. I'm like, yeah, I like to race. I've raced my whole life. I can do this. You know, I it was it was an experience. <laughs> I was <laughs> I'm hearing something was, different from it's an experience, yes. Yes, and it was it, honestly like while I was incredibly overwhelmed with just what even racing was because that was my first experience with a bike specific race. It went and one of the local riders from the Lady Nar Shredders who was also in the race and who kind of was like must have seen my lines and she's one of my best friends now. She, we always joke. She's like, get on my wheel. Cause she's like, I don't know. Like, why were you turning squares? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and so after that race, she actually invited me to their cyclocross clinic. And that's when I was first introduced to cyclocross. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you can get off your bike and run with it. I like to run. I really fell in love with the community just as much as I did with the actual sport itself. And I think the fact that the Columbus cycling community was so welcoming to me at the cross practices and even at the events that it just, you know, I, I fell in love and stopped doing triathlons and just strictly did cycling. Well, it's interesting that you say that you found it such a welcoming community. I don't always hear that when I hear about road racing, crit, stage, you know, whatever it is. But I do usually hear it when I hear mountain bike, cyclocross, touring, recreation. And so I'm really happy to hear that there is that sort of camaraderie at that level and that they're willing to share things like skill training, hop on my wheel, that kind of thing. I I think I also think women, I know this is, do not be offended men listeners, but I also feel like (laughs) women are more likely to bring women up into a higher level of cycling than men are. You know, it's like, okay, you're off the back. I'm not coming back for you. I mean, I've heard that a lot over the many years. Yeah. And it's, you know, for me, and I'm sure a lot of other female cyclists can attest to this. It's like, I get excited when I see riders that really want to try and make their way up in the field because it only grows the field. It only grows the sport. Like it's, I think, you know, sometimes in men's cycling, it's viewed as a threat because, you know, traditionally they're fighting for money and sponsorship. And whereas we are making strides towards equality between the two, 
genders, you know, in women's cycling, it's like, well, they're not really paying us anything, but heck yeah, we want to get this field growing and build this community. Exactly. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your team. You are the co-founder of the KS Kenda Women's Elite Mountain Bike Team. I assume that is out of Columbus. Actually, there were four of us that started it. Three of us remain on the team now. But we kept seeing each other at all of these races. And so my teammate Nikki is from Idlewild, California. And Emma is from Bend, Oregon. And then myself being Columbus, Ohio. And so as we're traveling to all these races, we kept seeing each other. And we were like, you know, we're all here together. Like, we're all trying to make it work. Why don't we start this team and use it as a way to try and inspire other women who, you know, cycling isn't their necessary paying job. Like, they're still working other jobs that you can do it. And try and really just inspire other women who want to try and race at that higher international level how to do it. Let me remind our listeners again, we're speaking with Jen Malik. She is the co-founder, one of the co-founders of the KS Kenda Women's Elite Mountain Bike Team and many other things. But you just brought up something that I find extremely interesting, and that is both working and racing and doing all of the things that you do. And a lot of people would look at all of that and say, How do you find time to do that? Because you look at men who are paid to race, and that's what they do. They train and they race. Women are not usually as lucky to have full-time paid racing gigs. So how do you manage the different things you're doing, and how do you sort of parse your time? That is a good question. Lots of calendars. Google Calendar saves my life. Uh, Also, I write everything down. Lots of color coding and sticky notes. In general, I tend to be a pretty high-energy person, and so I do best if I have a task or I'm busy. I really love being able to schedule, okay, I'm going to work until, you know, five or six, and then I'm going to get on the bike and ride. And then after that, you know, I'm going to work on team management stuff because founding a mountain bike team and keeping it running, the racing's the fun part. Um, And again, there are other fun parts, but we like to keep the team treated like a business. And so it's essentially a second job. And so it's like, okay, I have my biomedical engineering job. And then I, you know, I go to work on my KS Kenda women mountain bike job. Right. But yeah, lots of time management. And then honestly, just this, I have a lot of support. I'm very lucky that all of the people in my life and that I surround myself with are supportive in a lot of the endeavors that I embark on, especially like with my teammates. If maybe we need to get something done, that's my role. And I'm like, hey, guys, like I'm really busy with lab work. I have a deadline for a manuscript. Can someone help me? Then just knowing you have a teammate that can maybe cover that, knowing that when they may be struggling, you can help them. So that's also been huge. How many women are racing? We currently have four. So we just added a new member for this year, which unfortunately, we're not really doing any international races or anything together. Right. So she hasn't got to experience that, that team bonding part yet. But it is um, Nikki, Emma, and then Allie is the new member we added. And she actually, I was excited because she's based in Pennsylvania. So I was like, woohoo, another East Coast time zoner. Right. <laughs> you have a sponsor by the name of Kenda. Now, when we spoke with Ray George last week, who, by the way, is the person who connected me to you from Ohio Gravel Grinders, they're sponsored by Kenda. And I know Kenda has its headquarters in the Columbus area. Apparently, they really like sponsoring these kinds of 
efforts. So is Kenda your only sponsor or do you have other sponsors on your team? So we actually have a wide range of sponsors. Um, So the KS stands for KS Suspension. They would be our title sponsor and they make dropper posts, which is really helpful, especially as the courses get more technical, being able to push a button and have your seat lower and get out of the way so you can move the bike around and not have to worry about the dreaded catch a chamois on the seat moment, which (laughs) I know we've all been there. It's happened. We've had the awkward, like, oh, I'm stuck on my bike moment, but... (laughs) Yeah, that has eliminated a lot of those for me. (laughs) You know, and then moving down, we have Orange Seal, who they do tire sealant. So we run our Kenda tires tubeless. And part of that means, you know, it's, again, riding, a lot of my riding sometimes I do out of Columbus. And I like to call it urban gravel, a.k.a. glass. Um, And so knowing that I'm not (laughs) going to have to worry about flatting is very nice. Urban gravel, better known, a.k.a. glass. That's good. I'll have to remember that one. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we have other sponsors. So like Volet does our kits. And then we have pivot bike frames that we ride with Fox Forks. Um, and it kind of, you know, Shimano sponsors all our components. So it's, you know, it's a list. It's a it's a long list. But it's a really nice thing about all of our sponsors is that they believe in our mission. And, you know, Goo Energy, for example, we did a TerraCycling campaign earlier this, I guess, summer. We each of us went to our local trailhead and picked up trash. And for a week, we were posting about how you can make your own TerraCycling box and collect your sports nutrition wrappers. And then for free, if you sign up with TerraCycling, they'll mail you a shipping label. So that way, not today, landfill. And they'll actually recycle those hard to recycle materials, such nice. as wrappers, which I go through a lot of them. <laughs> and I'm also that weird person at the trailhead that's like, I always bring my TerraCycling box with me. And I'm like, hey, guys, do you have any wrappers that are like used? Can I have them? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's very weird. Very weird. Yeah. Oh, some of the looks that I get, people are like, what? And I'm like, they get recycled. Like, you partnered with TerraCycling so we can recycle these. Like, I'll take them. And then people are like, oh, that's really cool. And I'm like, thanks. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Right. Yeah. I'm going to continue being weird over here now. There you go. To the next person who's eating a bar on the side of the road. I want to talk about NICA because it is Mm -hmm. a really cool program. And the fact that it's coming to Ohio and that you're part of it is really a cool thing. So tell us about how you decided to become involved in collegiate mountain bike programs. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So for collegiate, again, it was kind of like my first year cycling and I am very much like a zero to 60 person. And so as soon as I decided I wanted to try cycling, um, I was in grad school at the time and I was like, oh. I'm going to race in collegiate too, because that means I can race more races. Um, I think my first year I did like 33 cyclocross races in a season. (laughs) Not too excessive. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, just kind of diving in that way and seeing the different community through collegiate racing and everyone huddling in their tents because, you know, we're, we're not one of the private schools that have cycling as a sport. So we're like, okay, everyone huddle in the car. We're, we have 10 of us in our two hotel rooms. <laughs> Bikes are stacked against the wall. And then you see teams like, you know, Lindenwood or Marion rolling up in their giant tour bus. And we're like, it's cool, but my Civic can fit five bikes. So what you got? <laughs> okay, so yeah. you, you came to all these races and you started mountain bike racing. And then... Mm-hmm. What happened after that? 
But, you know, the more I got into cycling and became involved with the community, I kept hearing, like, oh, it'd be really cool to have Nika. It'd be really cool to have Nika. And at first I was like, what the heck is Nika? And, you know, I keep hearing about it. And then someone's like, oh, it's the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. And I was like, cool, what is that? And then they, you know, they had described it as it's a cycling program. It's nationwide, but different states have their own leagues for middle and high school students who want to try out cycling that may not be interested in the standard sports of like soccer, volleyball, football, you know, cross country, but they still want to be a part of a team. And so I was like, that sounds like really cool. And then, you know, it kind of faded off for a little bit as I was finishing up my PhD and again, pretty deep into racing. And then I want to say it was, oh gosh, probably about a year ago. And someone had brought up at a Central Ohio mountain biking meeting that, oh, you know, like we really want to have NICA. You know, I, I'll support anyone who wants to help lead this charge. I just don't have time to. And in my head, I was like, well, I just finished my PhD, so I have plenty of time now. <laughs> and I was like, I'll do it. Of course. <laughs> it kind of just like grew from there. And I'm not going to lie. When I first said I'd do it, the concept of NICA to me was very abstract. We had to put a bid together and then get it submitted. And after that, then NICA National contacted us and they're like, oh, your bid was accepted. You guys will be ready. You're you know, going to have a fall 2021 launch. I was like, cool. And then that's when the onboarding calls started. So I'm probably on, you know, three to five calls every week discussing like, okay, here's what you need to do for your coaches. Here's, you know, what you need to do financially. Here's how you get your courses set up. And here's how you structure your whole program. Um, I mean, the best way to describe it is I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose, but (laughs) the water is delicious, let me tell you. Well, so that sort of leads me to the question of how many NICA schools will there be? This is the only Ohio connection so far. Yeah. Right now, what we're trying to do, again, with COVID, it's interesting because usually myself and my board, we'd be driving around and talking to different schools at like meetings and at different bike shops, getting people to just kind of get the word out about what NICA is. Because a lot of people in Ohio have never heard of it. Kind of similar to I was, I was like, what is this thing? You know, we've really been reaching out and I've heard probably from, I want to say 15 different schools that have people or students that are interested Um, And now it's just a process of really trying to connect those student athletes with people who want to coach, as well as, you know, they also have composite teams. And so usually when a league first starts, schools don't necessarily have enough students or there's not enough buy-in from the specific school. And so what you can do is a coach can form a composite team where a bunch of different kids from a region can be a part of that team that's not tied specifically to a school. And then they'll go compete at these four NICA events that we'll have in the fall. Very interesting. One more time. Let me remind listeners, we're speaking with Jen Malik. We're talking about the NICA League in Ohio, which it's really exciting that it's coming to Ohio. I mean, I've been following NICA for years. This is not new for me. So uh, just to sort of wrap up our conversation What do you do when you aren't doing like everything else you do? I mean, what do you do for, I hate to say fun, because it sounds like everything you do is fun. (laughs) Yeah, I was say, I really do love everything I do. And I probably wouldn't be doing all of it if it wasn't so much fun. But yeah, in terms of like when I'm not riding or doing NICA work or, you know, work work, 
or teamwork. Um, I really like to garden and I actually just bought a house about a year ago. And so this is my first summer of being able to have a garden. So that's been really, well, it's been an experience. It's been fun like doing the harvesting and I've also learned a lot but I also really enjoy working on different art projects specifically painting and doing different mixed media projects and this year actually one of my best friends just opened an art store called the Hugh House in Dayton which is close enough to me that I can drive down get supplies and then come back so I've been doing a lot of painting lately. Nice acrylics I prefer oils, but acrylics are more accessible and cheaper. So I have been working in acrylics, um, but oils are my passion. I am so bad with oil. I just muddy my colors. I don't know. I've just never gotten the hang of oils. So that's just me. (laughs) I have three questions I usually ask all my fun guests, but I already know the answer to one. So I didn't even bother to ask you about it. And that is, do you have any pets? We already know you have chickens, (laughs) dogs, cats, and a tortoise. So what's your favorite food? Oh, man. I eat a lot of peanut butter. Like, (laughs) I put it with yogurt to try and pretend, like, oh, it's topping. But we all know that I'm eating the peanut butter with the side of yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think in all the many hundreds, if not thousands, not thousands of conversations I've had with people, nobody has said their favorite food is peanut butter. Yes, first one. That's cool. What music do you like to listen to? Oh, man. I actually, I love a variety of music. It varies from, you know, like electronic music to before a race, I really like to listen to like epic film scores. Interesting. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it's a lot of like rap music and then some Coheed and Cambria. So it's really just all over the place. Well, then. We've been speaking with Jen Malik. She is, should I go through it all? She's a PhD in biomedical engineering. She works full-time at the OSU, that's Ohio State University, for those who do not know, Eye and Ear Institute. She's a pro racer. Her team is KS Kenda Mountain Bike Team. You know what we didn't talk about? The Ohio Mountain Bike Board. Oh, so do you mean Central Ohio Mountain Bike I don't know. It says you're a board member. Yeah, so that's the, so combo for short, because no one likes to try and say it all out loud, is basically the nonprofit that helps manage and as well as do trail advocacy for all the trails in Central Ohio. Uh-huh. That was the board meeting I was telling you about where someone had come and visit and they're like, we should bring NICA. And so Combo is actually my really first introduction into getting involved with trail advocacy and being a part of the, I would say, behind the scenes committee. You know, we all go out and ride our, the mountain bike trails and go to the races, but I really didn't get to see the world behind that, the people that are maintaining the trails, the people that are talking to the trail stewards and the land managers to make sure that we can even ride the trails or build new trail, um, as well as people doing the fundraising to put on these events. And so, you know, with that regard, that's being a part of that board and like helping, you know, fill in wherever they needed someone to like, hey, we need someone to help reach out for sponsorship, or we are doing a trail day, can you help organize this? Really helped me, you know, gain a new appreciation to the whole depth of what it means to be a cyclist because you know there's racing but then i like to me being a cyclist means i'm not only involved in the race aspect of it but i'm also giving back to the community that's given me so much 
And I super appreciate you saying that and actually putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, it is really important that we show up and do what we need to do. Well, Jen, thank you so much for talking with me. How can people follow what you're doing? Yeah, thank you. And so if you're interested in finding out about the Ohio Mountain Bike League or the Ohio NICA League, you can follow us on Instagram at Ohio MTB League, or you can go to our website at OhioMountainBikeLeague.com or org. I would have to check that. Um, and then me personally, I have my own Instagram where I basically post about a lot of my cycling or just, you know, personal events. You can see pictures of chickens or dogs. Oh, cool. Or the cats or everything. At, and it's at Jen E M A L. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great fall riding season, if not racing season, clearly. And take care of those critters. They're, they're like really important. Thanks for talking yes. with me. I hope we get to talk again. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye. Jen Malik joined me to chat about her incredibly full and exuberant life. As she said, if you're interested, you can follow her on Facebook at Jen Malik CX or follow her pro team, kskendawomenmtb.com. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll speak with People for Bikes' Toby DePaw about the Chicago race riots of 1919 and the commemorative ride route that highlights many of the historic places along the way. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. You're listening to the station that is your home for college radio in Cleveland, 88.7 FM, WJCU, University Heights. on the Outspoken Cyclist, I'm your host, Diane Jenks. The goal is to have 300 riders travel the historic 10-mile route through the Bronzeville and Bridgeport neighborhoods of Chicago, listening to the audio descriptions of the landmarks along the way to commemorate the Chicago race riots of 1919. Here is Toby DePaw from People for Bikes to fill in the details. Hello, Toby. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week. My pleasure, Diane. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. We always speak with people for bikes when something cool comes up. And I wanted to talk about an event that sounds really interesting, something I would guess that many of my listeners know nothing about. The 1919 Chicago race riot, and then out of that, an event has been created. So let's start with the actual 1919 event. Give us a little bit of background how and why Chicago is highlighting it now. Absolutely. So I recently discovered this entire topic through social media. Uh, Newberry Library put together a number of resources last summer to commemorate the centennial. And among those resources was kind of a, a guided tour. And they partnered with a few other organizations. One of them was Blackstone Bicycle Works, which is a wonderful nonprofit in Chicago. And it was really the centennial that they were celebrating. And uh, out of that, there was another organization called the Chicago Race Riot of 1919 Commemoration Project, 
which formed to create a series of public art installations along the route to commemorate all the different historical events and activities during the riot. This race riot is pretty interesting when you read the history of it, which I did. Uh, And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people probably didn't know about it, but it looks like a lot hasn't changed in 101 years is what it feels like in some ways. That is the sobering truth. (laughs) It is the sobering truth. But what you're doing sounds really interesting. And this Blackstone Bicycle Works, the Newberry Library, uh, there's been an amount of money to raise to help Blackstone. Let's kind of march through some of it. Let's talk about the event itself. What is the event and what is the time frame for it? Because it is going to end at a certain time. Yep. So the campaign is running uh, until the end of October. And what we're doing is we're challenging 300 or more Chicagoans or anyone to go and complete the 10 mile route and submit their route either through our ride spot platform or through the tracking platform of their preference. And we've been able to partner with SRAM and Avis, who have uh, kind of agreed to challenge the city to do this. And if, if we can get that many people to ride it, we have the opportunity to raise up to $7,500 for Blackstone. And so it's not a singular event. It's more of an ongoing campaign. And it's really a wonderful application of the technology we built at RideSpot, which was designed to build community, share experiences, make routes and rides easy to find. And this one in particular uh, is one of our, what we call our route challenges. So we have technology that will track if you've completed the route that you've joined. And when you do, we as the host and you as the rider get a notification. So it's a great way to engage an audience and track participation. Uh, and, And this one's just, it has a whole other level of history and education and awareness and then also philanthropy. Let me take a moment to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Toby DePaul. He's got a lot of titles, but we're going to say that he is the RideSpot affiliate wrangler. That's good enough. I remember when RideSpot first was introduced. In fact, I think I spoke with Jen Dice, your your CEO about it, the now CEO of which I am very proud that she is. Uh, and, And I know that it's a really interesting platform. Explain how RideSpot works to the person who hasn't tried it yet. And then we'll go back to the event. You bet. Happily. So RideSpot um, came together uh, after a, a, a research project that was sponsored by the industry to discover what barriers really were holding people back from riding. And far and away, the, the top barrier was finding safe places to ride. Um, and then the second most popular was finding other people to ride with. And so we wanted to create a platform that would do a couple things. It would be kind of a center uh, meeting place for riders uh, to center around riding experiences, really trying to push kind of a story forward approach to route sharing as opposed to a competitive approach. And so we wanted it to be a safe place, a welcoming place uh, where riders could see what other riders were doing, and then also uh, connect with their local bike shops. Um, As you and I know, local bike shops are such a wealth of route knowledge, and we wanted to give those shops a place to put that knowledge and make it a resource to their communities. So that's what uh, an affiliate is on RideSpot. We have regular rider accounts, and then we have affiliate accounts. And affiliate accounts can be any 
organization that wants to engage riders, but it's kind of built with bike shops in mind uh, to make it easy to host events, to engage riders, keep people moving. And we've been learning and growing the last couple of years. And this coming spring, we have a whole new layer of features coming out that will make it even easier to engage riders and keep people moving. Oh, cool. Ultimately, that's our, that's our larger goal at People for Bikes is to get more people riding more often. Which has always been people for bikes. <laughs> that is exactly yep, yep. what the tagline has been as long as I can remember. Get more people on bikes more often. I want to know a little bit more about Blackstone Bicycle Works because they'll be the beneficiary of this $7,500. Blackstone uh, is a wonderful organization uh, located on Chicago's South Side who aims to give youth educational and vocational opportunities that they might not otherwise have. Uh, And what that means is they have programs, classes, open times where kids can just have a place to go and be. But then also they have a track where kids can learn the basics of bicycle maintenance and start to earn earn bikes or or start to grow skills that ultimately feed into early employment uh, at bike shops. And that is a, a really important thing that we need to see in the industry is growing the next kind of generation of mechanics. And so this is just one tiny community that's doing a wonderful thing, both just for the local community and then even for the industry. They'll receive the donations at the end of this campaign, and they can put it towards those programs. They also have a bike shop themselves that repairs bikes, that sells new bikes. Yeah, it's a a wonderful organization. It sounds like it. And being a bike shop owner myself for many, many, many years, we need all the good bike shops we can get right about now. So the last thing yeah. I want to remind people about is the the route and sort of maybe mm-hmm. a couple of the highlights of the route that they'll be seeing. You bet. One, one piece of this experience that I'm especially excited about is that we're not just pointing to a line on the map for people to follow. We're really inviting people to come in and have a, a full experience. And what I mean by that is we have you know, easy-to-follow navigation on the app, but we've also created an incredible audio tour. Two professors and founders of the CRR 1919 Commemoration Project volunteered to record little context for each and every stop along the route. And it really gives you an incredible depth of context and awareness that just by riding through it, you wouldn't be able to, to glean from from the current state of things. They tell stories of things that you pass by, things that happened where you're standing. They're able to point out buildings that remain and what what they were back in 1919. And we've also created a kind of a keepsake, a a limited edition route guide that is is similar information, not quite as much uh, individual storytelling, but a lot of information at each stop. Uh, and those are being sold online and at a few bike shops in Chicago with all the, all the sales going to Blackstone and to the public art project. This audio tour, you can download it and as you're riding, you can hear it? Yep. That's really cool. I just downloaded it. It's just an easy click of, the, of my mousey. It looks like a really interesting way of highlighting these different places along the route. Well, the last thing we should do is tell people how they can find out more perhaps sign up, perhaps submit their ride. Now, obviously, you need to be in Chicago at some point to do this ride. There is no virtual way to do it, I take it. 
There isn't. We are encouraging people to go have the experience in Chicago. Sure. We still invite people to support the project either by buying a guidebook online or even by looking into Blackstone and finding a way to donate on their website. If you are hearing this and you are intrigued and want to uh, learn more, everything can be found at CRR1919ride.com. And we've got everything in one place, both how to participate, access to the route, uh, links to the guidebook that you can purchase, links to the audio tour. And then there is a digital guide uh, that you can bring up on your, on your phone as well if you want to read online. Um, but everything is there at CRR1919ride.com. This is just great. Thanks, Toby. We've been speaking with Toby DePaul. He is the RideSpot affiliate. Or we'll call him a manager this time. He was a wrangler last time. <laughs> and we will post all of that on our pages, our Facebook page, and on our Twitter feed, and of course on the Outspoken Cyclist blog. And it is CRR1919ride.com. You can get the audio tour. You can see what the highlights are. Even if you're not in Chicago, it sounds like a fascinating audio experience. I think anybody might want to listen to it. Good luck with it. It's on until October 31st, which is a special day for me. It happens to be my birthday. So thank you for doing it for that. And and I hope you get all of the people uh, you need. 300 riders will raise the $7,500. So if it goes over that, even better. Even better. All right. We would love to see it. Thanks, Toby. Have a great afternoon. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Diane. Bye-bye. Toby DePaw is the affiliate manager wizard for the RideSpot app at People for Bikes. If you are interested, you can download the audio tour, purchase a guidebook, or log your ride and help raise money for the Blackstone Bicycle Works at CRR1919ride.com. We're going to take another short break, and when we return, we'll speak with Lauren Hefferon about Chiclismo Classico and some upcoming tours in New Hampshire. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. A bicycle crash is not an accident. And when you find yourself in a situation that calls for experienced, effective, and positive legal support and advocacy, you can depend on any of North America's independent bike law members. Bike Law's cycling attorneys are members of our community committed to the pursuit of cycling safety and justice. For more information about Bike Law, log on to bikelaw.com. They're on your left, protecting your rights. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. It's been a long year of canceled events and broken dreams when it comes to bicycle tours. Everything from Tazrov here in Ohio and Ragbri in Iowa to all of the fabulous European and other worldwide tours so many of you had planned have either been postponed or canceled altogether. But Lauren Hefferon, founder and owner of Ciclismo Classico, spent all spring figuring out how to safely offer tours and now with fall in full color in the east, She's got some tours open for you in New Hampshire. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me on the show this week. Hi, nice to to speak with you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I wanted to talk with you about a couple of things. 
not the least of which is how you guys are handling your tours during COVID. Lauren is the owner and founder of Chiclismo Classico out of New, it is out of New Hampshire, huh? No, we're actually based out of uh, the Boston. Oh, Boston. Well, you know, East Coast. Well, I'm from, I'm from I'm from New Hampshire, and I've been doing these trips in New Hampshire, so I'm uh, and that's that's fine. I mean, who knows if I don't end up in New Hampshire sooner than later? <laughs> okay. Well, I want to talk to you first about some of the protocols you've implemented to keep your guests safe and well, because so many people aren't doing anything. They've just pretty much hunkered down and said we're going to wait for 2021. But you are not, and I'm really kind of excited that you're doing some things. Tell us what protocols you've put together. Right. Yeah, no, right away. I, I mean, I, you know, I saw the opportunities in all of this. And of course, we all noticed um, how more how more people were cycling in the springtime. So I, I was bicycling a lot in the spring and I was actually obser- observing people. I was seeing like, you know, what they were doing, were they wearing masks when they were hanging out and around the water fountain, what they were doing. So, you know, for a few months as I was developing these uh, domestic tours, I was observing people cycling. And I was also as I was cycling with my friends, listening and talking to them. So I was really absorbing sort of the the feel of what you know where people were at. What it, what's going on is that those people that do want to get outside and bicycle, um, th- there's such a range of people's comfort level. But the people that are out bicycling are sort of of a certain comfort level. When we're cycling, we don't wear masks. I believe that when you're cycling, I do not believe that germs are being spread. There's a plenty of fresh air, and that was consistent with observing people around here and riding with different groups. But when we're stopped and, and you know, hanging out like around a water fountain or whatever, we put up our mask. Or when we're eating, we, um, we um, take down our mask. So riding down with a mask, eating or drinking down with a mask. And then, of course, social distancing, we have our masks up. We give people masks. We create a little chiclismo mask out of our out of our jerseys, the leftover jersey, bicycle jersey stock that we had. And they're quite cute. And people are, you know, really appreciating Getting away, I think at this point, um, maybe not in the spring or the summer, but certainly by the fall, people are just, they really want to be outside and with other people. And I've experienced sort of an exuberance and a joy that people have being outside. And, um, you know, we're just having a nice time. We're small groups. Our groups are from six to 10 at the most. I don't anticipate anything larger. And the restaurants we're going to, well, you know, all the restaurants I've been in, everyone's wearing masks. They're keeping our tables very separate. You can observe them doing a lot of um, hygiene. Same with the hotels. I mean, hotels are really going crazy. They don't want to go out of business. And, you know, they're, they're probably really, really putting in such a huge effort to uh, be accommodating to guests. It's different. It's not like it used to be, but people are still having fun. You know, we're really having it. We had a great time on these trips. Let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Lauren Hefferon. She is the founder and owner of Ciclismo Classico, and we are going to talk about right now two trips that you're highlighting in Keene, New Hampshire, which this time of year has to be just breathtakingly stunning. So one is coming up really quickly next week, and then there's one in two weeks that is a little different, even though it might be the same route. How many days are each of these tours? You know, first of all, I grew up in Keene, so there's, this has a very strong place in my heart. I love Keene. It's, no one even knows about it. Well, a lot of people don't know about it, but it is considered one of the most charming, you know, villages in the United States. It's been uh, Oprah. Oprah has said it, and a lot of people really love it. It's a great location because, unlike a lot of places, it's a real hub and spoke location. So literally, in every single direction—north, south, east, west—there are all lovely little roads. Um, so I've selected this as a base place because. Um, in every direction, um, we have a new itinerary. 
So the trip that we're doing in Keene, and you're correct, foliage is just stunning. I mean, if you've never really cycled during foliage season, it's just magical. I mean, reds and yellows, and it, it is really a very, very special time of year and very unique to the Northeast in terms of the range of colors. And it will be peak over the next two weeks, so it's a good time to jump on a bicycle and join us. And we do have a couple spaces on all the trips. You know, it's based in Keene. It's a four day, four days of cycling. Um, with the fifth morning, we're going to hike up Mount Monadnock, and that's optional. But each day, we explore um, this very rich colonial history of Keene, as well as Native American history. The whole area was quite, uh, you know, quite historical. There was a lot of battles in the area. There was a lot of colonial, interesting colonial history, a lot of unique economic history. In fact, a lot of culinary history. So uh, one of the days, we go to a vineyard, um, that which, is, which is called um, Poocham Vineyard. And it's basically located on a Native American site. Uh, another day, we go to a, a, an aviary, aviary and, her, and the woman's specialty is um, Slovenian beekeeping. Another day, we go to Harrisville, which is considered one of the best preserved mill towns in the country. So my, my focus on all of my trips is always about sort of taking a deep dive into the area. So we're not just bicycling, which you know, we're really putting together a story. Every day is a, is a story and uh, it has historical features, culinary features and all people along the way. So my goal on any bicycle ride that I lead is that the person after taking the ride will have a nice sense of the history and the culture and of course the beautiful, beautiful scenery of the area. And this area does not disappoint. Even, even having grown up there, I'm, I'm learning more and more and more about the many layers of, of the history of the area. So how many miles a day approximately will you be cycling and how many stops along the way? Yep. We're doing uh, between 35 and 45 miles per day. Perfect. It is hilly. I mean, New Hampshire is hilly. We're taking our time. We're starting around nine o'clock when it gets warm, it warms up a little bit and we're having a full day. You know, we stop all along the way, you know, every 10 and 15 miles. Uh, we have snack stops at, at all the cute little villages along the way, which people really like. And then we have our lunches, you know, sort of uh, mid-trip. And, and those are usually also in historic places like uh, in Hancock. Um, we also go to Surrey Mountain Dam. So we're really trying to integrate. As we have a snack stop, we integrate it in a, in a really lovely place. Or if we have a lunch stop, for example, and we're going to go to Walpole. Um, and Walpole is the home of Burdick's Chocolate, which is a very famous chocolate here in the East Coast. And um, we eat in their restaurant and try some of their really, really lovely chocolates. Oh, well, I think that every hand in the audience went up on that one. <laughs> yeah. As we develop our New England trips, um, they're going to be very farm and foodie based. Um, I think that people are really craving to learn about these wonderful farmers who are trying to make a living. And uh, we're going to go to a bakery, go to a bakery in Allstead. So part of my goal is to sort of create farm experiences all along the way. So there are only from what I understand, two spaces left for the upcoming tour, and that is a, a mixed gender tour. But on your October, is it 8th through 12th? Yes, from October the 8th until October the, the 12th. And that's a women's retreat weekend. Same, it's more or less the same itinerary. However, I have a guest a woman who's a, a psycho coach, psycho, psycho performer, and, and she's going to do some, some clinics about you know particular things about cycling for women. And uh, it's going to be more women focused in that in that way. And also it takes place over Women's Cycling Day, which is an international day uh, that Heather Mason and I are promoting. Um, it's being promoted all over the world. 
And that's, and that's on October, October the 10th. So Lauren, tell my listeners how they can find out more about your New Hampshire trips coming up. See if they want to maybe participate. It's really not too late at all. And we love to have them. Um, and they're all van supported, of course, and have really nice hotels. So um, we have two spaces, like I said, next, next week, starting on Thursday. Come on up. Um, and then the women's uh, ride is that following weekend. And my website is www.teclismoclassico.com. And um, you could find that on the North American link on our website. Um, you can also call me at 617-640-4837. I love talking to people and telling them all about the trip and answering any specific questions. Uh, we do have e-bikes available, uh, but a lot of people are bringing their own bikes. Sure. Well, because it's domestic. So I have one more question, which I failed sure. to ask you, and that is, what do you see for 2021? Do you see some of the European trips? Because that's what you're known for, your beautiful culinary and exciting European trips. Do you see them coming back? Well, we're planning for it. I certainly hope so. I mean, we, you know, I had it's out of my control, but I, I do think so. I think there will, once again, be a certain number of people. You know, there's a lot of things pending on this, but there are going to be people that just say, I I really want to travel. And I, I do hope that there's some protocols in place that will allow people to travel. Um, but yes, we are we are ready to go for, for 2021. And I will be expanding my trips in the Northeast as well. Um, so, and we're bringing over some of our Italian guides to help guide them. Nice. Well, yeah. thank you so much for talking with me, Lauren Hefferon. She is Chiclismo Classico. And Correct. it's com. Good luck with this fall, and we will probably talk again. Happy Women's International Cycling Day. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Ciao. Bye-bye. Lauren Hefferon is the founder and owner of Chiclismo Classico. If you are interested in either of the upcoming tours in New Hampshire, you can call Lauren at 617-640-4837 and reserve your spot. Or log on to chiclismoclassico.com. My thanks to Jen Malik, Toby DePaw, and Lauren Hefferon for joining me on the show this week. Next week, which is our first show in October, we'll be speaking with the infamous Zapata Espinoza. So thank you for listening and thank you for your continued support of the show. Remember that you can always follow the conversation on our Facebook page. It's pretty lively sometimes. You can send us a tweet at Outspoken Cyclist, omit the E please, or leave us a comment on our blog, OutspokenCyclist.com. I hope you have a great week. Please stay safe, stay well, and by all means, if you have a chance, go for a ride. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We hope you enjoyed this week's show and we welcome your thoughts and comments. We'll be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and most other podcast apps and never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.